The Curbsiders podcast is for entertainment, education, and information purposes only, and the topics discussed should not be used solely to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or conditions. Furthermore, the views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of those and should not be interpreted to reflect the official policy or position of any entity, aside from possibly catch like more hospital and affiliate outreach programs, if indeed there are any. In fact, there are none. Pretty much, we are responsible if you screw up. You should always do your own homework and let us know when we're Welcome back to the Curbsiders Teach Season 3, our mini-series on medical education. I'm Dr. Molly Hoyblind, joined by my co-host, Dr. Ira Kurznavskaya, and our returning co-host, Dr. Charlotte Chaiklin. On tonight's episode, we'll discuss whiteboard mini-lectures, often referred to as Chalk Talks, with Dr. Ryan Nelson. Before we get started with that, Ira, will you remind the audience what we do on this show? Sure, Molly. We are the Internal Medicine Podcast for all things medical education. We use expert interviews to bring you teaching pearls and practice-changing knowledge to inspire the next generation of medical educators. We have a fantastic conversation with our guest, Dr. Ryan Nelson. We cover all things Chalk Talks or what we'll be referring to as mini whiteboard lectures or WBLs as we will probably call them in the show notes. So stay tuned. And hi everyone. Um, I'm Charlotte Chaiklin. I'm a general internist at the University of Florida and I'm thrilled to be on tonight um, with Dr. Ryan Nelson. Uh, Dr. Ryan Nelson is an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School. He serves as the director of the Emergent and Hospital Medicine Elective and is the associate site director for the Core One Medicine Clerkship. He is extremely passionate about both undergraduate and graduate medical education, is an expert on both designing and delivering effective whiteboard mini lectures, which are often referred to as chalk talks. Um, a reminder here that this episode and most episodes are available for free CME credit through VCU Health. All you have to do is create an account at uh, curbsiders.vcuhealth.org. So without, so without further ado, ado, get to let's it. Let's get to it. <laughs> well, Dr. Nelson, thank you so much for coming on the show. We'd like to start with some rapid fire questions just to know you, uh, just to get to know you a little bit better. Could you give us a one liner to describe yourself? Sure. I am a recently turned 35 academic hospitalist, husband, and dog dad who loves to play drums in his spare time. Cool. And you were mentioning that you were familiar with the microphone from your time in a prior band. Is that what you were saying? <laughs> I did. Yeah. I was in a classic rock cover band in college and we, we played a lot of shows. It was a lot of fun. It was great. Thanks. I love it. And Dr. Nelson, do you mind if we call you Ryan? Is that okay? Please do. Awesome. Please call me Ryan. <laughs> well, Ryan, I know that given your love of music and, <clears throat> excuse me, bands, I feel like you might have a book, movie, show, or album that you recently um, experienced and enjoyed. Would you be able to share that? Sure. So I actually have been recently revisiting a favorite album, which is Give Up by the Postal Service, because it's their 20th uh, anniversary this year. And they are going on tour, and I bought my tickets to when they come to Boston for degree in September. So I'm super excited for that. Oh my gosh, this must date, this might date me, but I actually <laughs> went to their 10 year anniversary concert in Red Rock in Colorado on the way to residency. And it was amazing. So I can only imagine their 20th concert will be 2X that. I'm sure it will be. Oh, that's awesome. Brian, do you mind telling us something, um, maybe some meaningful advice or feedback that you've received throughout your career or training? Let's see, meaningful feedback I've received. Um, you know, one of the best pieces of, I guess, advice in medical education I've ever received was try and make your scholarship count twice. And so it's something I've really taken to heart. And when I work on a project, I think about, you know, how else could I 
else could I use this as a piece of scholarship if I'm working on a lecture? Could I make this a small group session, a workshop? Could I make this an abstract for a conference? So that was a really great piece of advice I got early in my career that I, I try and stick to. Awesome. And since we're here to talk all things whiteboard, mini lectures, um, tell us where this passion came from. Sure. So my passion for whiteboard teaching first started at uh, Tulane University School of Medicine. I was fortunate enough to see a lot of really experienced and masterful whiteboard teachers there. And that really inspired my passion to start off. And so when I started as an academic hospitalist, I, I really sort of gravitated to that teaching technique. Um, for my small groups when I was on service with teams and um, I really worked to sort of refine that as my sort of, my sort of like scholarly niche. And um, I also had the chance to go to the Academic Hospitalist Academy in 2019, and that was a specific skill we practiced there. And so that really sort of drove home that passion. And from there, um, I worked on, you know, developing my whiteboard mini lecture teaching portfolio and haven't really looked back since. Wonderful. Well, uh, before we jump into that a little bit more, Ira or Charlotte, do you have picks of the week? Oh my gosh, Molly, I, you know I do. Um, I, I know you do. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment. Just kidding. Talking to you, Ryan, is what is the moment I've been waiting for in my whiteboard <laughs> mini lecture. But I will say, in case anyone is looking for their next Netflix binge or you know Netflix experience, I recently watched a mini series actually from Italian Netflix called "The Law According to Lydia Poet," and it's based on a true story actually of the first female lawyer in the in the 1800s in Italy. And I'm guessing that lawyer in that time actually meant detective because each episode is spent kind of exploring a murder mystery that this woman ultimately solves. And um, the kind of key piece at the beginning is that she's disbarred because uh, Turin or Rome or Italy decides that women can't be lawyers. So it's super fascinating because the whole uh, series is based on like, will she get her, you know, designation back um, and be barred, you know, uh, part of the bar association or a lawyer again. And, uh, but there's also like a 50 minute murder mystery episode. So if anyone's looking and there's subtitles, so don't worry, I don't have to know Italian in order to watch it. Um, it's a really fascinating experience if anyone's looking for their next series. I just started reading um, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, and who knew he's an incredible writer, not just actor. Um, I believe he turned 50 and then decided to go out to the desert and write this book about his life. Um, it's been really fascinating. It's a page turner. I can't read it at night or it keeps me awake, and I highly recommend it. It's just an easy, fun, pleasant read. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. I love that. I was about to say, I thought he peaked with like Magic Mike. So who knew there's a you know book about his life? Just kidding. He's amazing. He's going to go into politics. And who knows what's next? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, my pick will be a more lowbrow uh, Netflix binge, but I got a lot of joy watching Emily in Paris. Um, it's kind of trashy, but also just joyful. And <laughs> she's a um, just a really, her character is just a really enthusiastic and outgoing and cheerful. And um, there's kind of bizarre fashion and lots of terrible stereotypes. And it's just fun. <laughs> Do any of you guys watch uh, The Great British Bake Off by any chance? No. Oh, yes. No? Oh. <laughs> we have gotten a lot of recommendations. Yes, yeah. I, I hear it's really I wonderful. It. <laughs> well, they just released the uh, professional series on Netflix, which would, if I'm allowed a pick of the week, that would be my pick of the week. It's it's pretty awesome. Oh, nice. 
I think we've got a good range for people looking for Netflix recommendations. Agreed. <laughs> Great. Well, Charlotte, do you want to jump us off with a case here? Sure. So um, this is our first case from Cashlock Memorial. Charlotte is an early career academic internist who wants to improve her, her chalk talk or whiteboard mini lectures um, while attending on the wards. And she comes to you, Ryan, because she heard you are an expert in all things whiteboard mini lectures. Um, so maybe we could just start with the basics. Oftentimes we refer to these or whiteboard mini lectures are talked of about in terms of chalk talks, um, but maybe we should just start with what are whiteboard mini lectures? Sure. So whiteboard mini lectures, as I would define them, they're interactive small group teaching sessions, typically 30 minutes or less, where an instructor is using a whiteboard and markers as their primary teaching tools. And so I distinguish these as they're a subtype of chalk talk based on kind of my literature review, because more recent literature, you know, this term chalk talk has been used to describe a lot of different things. So teaching at the bedside with a note card, online digital whiteboard modules. And so where I sort of specialize is specifically whiteboard mini lectures where you're teaching at the whiteboard interactively in person with a small group of learners. Nice. And you kind of touched up base on like the interactive piece, Ryan. And I wonder just to dive a little bit deeper, how interactive are we talking? You know, is it you're basing it on a case that maybe you saw that day or that morning? Or is there kind of interaction with the learners and they come up with their cases that you then use as a fodder for the whiteboard mini lecture? Kind of how do you how do you tease those apart versus the traditional, maybe more like I just talk at you style? Yeah, great question. So, you know, I think to some extent, my whiteboard mini lectures, when I give them, are a little bit planned in advance, but they are based around the patients that I'm seeing with the clinical team. So typically at the beginning of the week, I'll sit down with my learners and we'll do expectations. And part of that will be setting an educational agenda for the week. And we'll pick out, you know, a topic for a whiteboard mini lecture based on one of the patients on our current census. And I'll either already have a talk prepared for that specific topic, or I'll give myself a little bit of lead time to really develop an impactful whiteboard mini lecture. Usually about like two or three days would be kind of my standard practice. And how do you manage to fit these into a busy day on wards? Do you try to schedule a certain time that, you know, after rounds or in the afternoon, or you just try to fit it in as things come along? Yeah, great question. I usually do these in the afternoon and we'll pick a time. It varies day to day, kind of based on how um, the residents and students that I'm working with, how their schedule's looking. I'd say typically for me, I'm usually doing these around 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And then typically we'll be running the list for any updates clinically on the patient list and kind of signing off from there. So it's a nice kind of book into the, the day with your clinical team, in my experience. Awesome. And I think for early... Uh educators like myself, it can be kind of daunting to think about designing a whiteboard mini lecture um, for your team. Like what kind of advice would you give and what should you expect when designing a new whiteboard mini lecture? Yeah, I certainly can understand that it, it can seem a little daunting to teach at the whiteboard. And I think, you know, the temptation is, especially early on, you know, to default to doing like a PowerPoint presentation, which everyone knows how to do that. And it's easy to throw together some slides and put some pictures on there. But, you know, you really, your learners really do respond to a whiteboard mini lecture when you've taken some time to make one. So I, I'm happy to go through like the steps that I would take to design one now, if that's what you would envision. Give yeah. us the steps, Ryan. The <laughs> ingredients, we want them. 
So we're going to start with a broad topic. So let's use an example. Let's say pneumonia. And so then we're going to narrow that topic down to a smaller bite of that larger topic. So maybe the diagnosis and treatment of community-acquired pneumonia. And so from that focus topic, it's then, I think, really good to develop actual learning objectives for your whiteboard lecture, Sim similar to what you would do if you're planning a larger group session or a workshop. I think, you know, any good teaching session begins with defining those, white, those um, learning objectives. So I'd usually spend some time working on developing those before I go reading about the topic and deciding on what the content would be. And so once you have those learning objectives, then figuring out, you know, so honing in on what the content is going to be. And I usually try and use one or two sources to avoid source overload when initially planning things. And how many learning objectives are you thinking? We're talking maybe a 20, 30 minute lecture. Um, how many would you recommend per, yeah. per whiteboard mini lecture? I think two to three, no more than three for sure. Cause you know, ideally these are, you know, less than 30 minute sessions to really sustain your learner's attention throughout the session. So I found two to three works really well. And if we were to make this relevant, and you mentioned the topic of pneumonia, Ryan, not to put you on the spot, but I can imagine you've taught a whiteboard mini lecture about pneumonia. Do you have like two learning objectives maybe that come to mind uh, when if you were to create that or if you were to kind of spin off of what you've made before? Sure. So I actually, I don't have one on pneumonia specifically, but I do have one on pleural effusions, which could be tied to pneumonia. So we could say, uh, identify and rank the most common causes of pleural effusion, um, classify the subtypes of uh, exudative pleural effusion, and select the appropriate initial empiric antibiotics for a paranemonic effusion. Those might be three that I would use. Love it. Thank you. Thank you for that example. Yeah. That's helpful to, to see something concrete and keep it focused and keep it specific. Um, and how do you think about the elements of uh, uh, Chalk Talk in terms of cognitive theory of multimedia learning? Sure. So, you know, the cognitive theory of multimedia learning originally was sort of in the digital space, but we can apply it to the whiteboard space. And basically, the at the crux of the theory, it's that there's these, we encode information through two, two channels, a visual channel and an auditory channel. And as we're bringing in information, there's sort of three types of cognitive load we have to deal with. The extraneous load, which is all the unnecessary details that we want to try and weed out from our brains. The essential load, which is related to your learning objectives, which is why it's important to know what those are. And then the generative load, where you're taking new information and linking that to previous experiences and previous memories to really include, encode deeper learning. And so without getting into too many details, basically there's 15 principles of cognitive theory of multimedia learning, seven of them, I think, apply to whiteboard teaching. And I've used those seven to sort of base seven individual tips for elevating whiteboard mini lecture design. Um, the first three tips are going to be helping to reduce that extraneous cognitive load. So simplifying the text using the minimum amount of text possible using arrows and symbols where you can. Organizing with headings, so including some descriptive headings and around the individual content that you're going to be using. And then integrating labels. So if you're going to use a diagram, making sure that those labels are close by to their representations in the diagram and not far off connected by an arrow or using some sort of a key to the side of your whiteboard talk. Um, the second two tips are helping with the um, essential cognitive load, again, relating to the learning objectives. And so those are to divide the whiteboard into segments of content. And so when you teach in smaller segments of the larger topic, that helps your learners to kind of keep up with the material and to really be able to digest it a little bit better. And the second tip 
for dealing with the essential cognitive load is to um, familiarize the terms. So if you're teaching, let's say, on pulmonary function testing, which is one of my talks I give, I like to go over the basic spirometric terms even before I start the whiteboard mini lecture, just to make sure everyone's on a level playing field. And then the last two tips relate to the generative cognitive load. So linking what you're learning with previous memories. And those two tips are to create an advanced organizer where we're incorporating some sort of visual element into the whiteboard mini lecture. And then the second would be to engage the audience. So using learners' names, um, linking the case to a patient that you might be sharing using you and your statements. And just in general, you know, having engaging speech, so varying the pitch loudness of your voice and using um, expressive body language. So these are my sort of seven tips for elevating whiteboard mini lectures. It sounds like the way you deliver the content is so important. And I was wondering, um, do you outline on the board or what do you do to prepare the way you're going to deliver that content? Yeah. So, you know, like going back to our sort of framework we were discussing of how to design these, once you've got your learning objectives, I like to then sort of outline on a piece of paper the actual content as sort of a rough draft number one. And then from there, I create on a different piece of paper my actual rough draft of what the whiteboard lit mini lecture is going to look like on the whiteboard. And so um, I'm, I'm very type A, so I use uh, the pens. I use colored pens that are going to correspond to the different markers I'll be using on the whiteboard. And I'm basically creating a visual outline that I'll then take with me, especially the first time I'm giving a new whiteboard mini lecture, to have a sort of a reference off to the side um, to help me as I'm going through the lecture. And it's also nice because it then helps you set up the sort of outline of the uh, whiteboard mini lecture, which I've come to call the, the mise en place, which is a French culinary term, putting everything, putting all the ingredients in the right place. So putting all the key ingredients to your whiteboard mini lecture on the board prior to when your learners get there, which I think is great because it shows them in advance what the key concepts are, ideally in one color, blue or red. But also if they walk into the room and they see that, you know, you've already got this great initial sort of scaffold for your whiteboard mini lecture on the board, I think it's intriguing to them. And it really shows that you've taken some time to um, develop the session and that you're, you know, really dedicated to their learning experience. I love that. I, I think the cognitive theory of, of multimedia learning is something I wasn't too familiar with. And we had touched on it briefly on another episode that I'm not sure if it will air before or after this, but teaching online. And I, I think that's just really valuable to take a step back and thinking about really uh, how to how to decrease that extraneous load, how to really focus on that essential cognitive load, and then how to use that generative cognitive load for, for deeper learning. So I, I think that outline can be valuable in a lot of different settings. Um, do you think about this the same way when you're giving talk, Chalk Talks virtually or using a Zoom whiteboard? Yeah, great question. So I, I've given these mostly in person so far, but I have a few times given this workshop over Zoom. And uh, I do use a PowerPoint slide deck for that, but I actually have taken pictures of my whiteboard layouts and I have a process of kind of translating them into um, a slide that looks like it's on a whiteboard. And so I'll, I'll use that to sort of teach in real time. And I need to experiment more with digital whiteboards. That's sort of the next thing on my to-do list for when I'm doing these section, sessions virtually. Ryan, I feel like you're setting us up for success from a whiteboard mini lecture standpoint. And I appreciate that with both the tips and kind of the, the components of the multimedia learning theory. I wonder, I mean, you are an, ex an expert in this field, but how long does the preparation take for one of these lectures and kind of 
are you for yourself setting this up as like when I speak to learners, I'm going to tell them we're going to do three whiteboard mini lectures a week during my time on service or kind of how do you both prepare for yourself to actually deliver the content and the learners to be able to receive it too? Yeah. So I like to set an educational uh, agenda with my teams at the beginning of the week. And I'll usually do one or two whiteboard mini lectures in a given week. We'd have three days where the attending is sort of responsible for the afternoon teaching. As far as planning one of these sessions, and at least in the initial iteration, I think, you know, four or five hours is probably a reasonable amount of time to at least get your rough draft going. Because again, you're going to want to pick your topic, narrow the content, make some learning objectives, figure out exactly what you're going to say, and then translate what you're going to say into a whiteboard layout. And then test that out. And so, you know, in my experience, four to five hours is typically what what it takes. Definitely a non-zero amount of hours. That's that's real. (laughs) That's that's an investment. But I think it's really helpful to think, you know, what are you and maybe you could be a little bit more specific, Ryan, of the four to five hours. How much time are you spending on the like narrowing of objectives versus kind of looking for references, those two or three that you mentioned versus actually like writing on the board? Sure. So I, you know, I think about 30 to 45 minutes of, you know, figuring out the topic, which probably your learners have already given you. So that's likely already done for you. So writing good learning objectives, you know, around 30 to 45 minutes, and then actually picking out the content would probably be another two hours or so, I would say. And again, I think it's good to not get into source overload here. So have your kind of one to two go-to sources, you know, at hand for you to use um, in advance and and really stick to those to get the bulk of your content. Um, And then I think another, you know, one to two hours to create that initial sort of layout of what the whiteboard is going to look like, because you want to be deliberate with where you place things, the headings you use, trying to create some sort of an advanced organizer, if you can, really does elevate the talk and makes it all the more memorable for your learners. So, that's probably where the bulk of it is is spent for me, at least, is, is designing the actual layout and making sure that it's going to be memorable for my learners. Do you ever come into a situation where your learners ask you to te- teach about something maybe you haven't taught on before or you have to teach on the fly? And what do you do in those situations? You know, as I've explained them, whiteboard mini lectures, maybe not the best way to teach on the fly, but... If it's a topic you're familiar with, you certainly could. Um, and I don't think you can use all seven tips that I've described. It would be very tough to create a, a novel advanced organizer on the fly in real time. But you could write a title up on the whiteboard, think of a couple of headings and write those up there, make some bullet points of things that you'd want to teach. And you know, if there's a basic diagram or a basic picture pertinent to what you're teaching, um, maybe, you know, let's say I've asked to give a talk on pneumonia on the, on the spot and maybe so drawing, but drawing out the lungs might be a, a, an important part of that sort of more on the fly whiteboard mini lecture. But, um, so if you are asked to give one of these on the fly, I'd say, you know, go for it, give it a shot. And then when you're done, take a picture and, you know, go back to the drawing board, no pun intended and see, you know, kind of how you could maybe change that or elevate it for, for next time. I, I do a fair amount of small group teaching, but I am very bad at doing whiteboard talks. So I'm inspired by you. I, I think I, in the past, have not tried to outline and actually what I would write on the board ahead of time. Um, you know, I had my my learning objectives and the the top, you know, details of what I wanted to cover, but I hadn't actually thought about planning it out with markers on the screen ahead of time. So I, I really like that idea. Um, 
So part of it is that I'm not well prepared, but the other part of it was, and I actually get to discussing the topic. I feel like I take too long writing. It just holds things up. My writing is messy. How, how much do you actually outline ahead of time on the board? Do you designate a scribe? How do you actually like make that come onto the, the whiteboard as you're giving the discussion? Yeah, I like to write on the board myself. Um, so, you know, when I do sort of the mise en place on the whiteboard, I, I tend to write the the headings and sort of the, the bigger portions of what the talk is going to entail. And if I have, you know, two or three bullet points, let's say under a heading, I'll actually put the bullet points on there as sort of like a visual cue for what I need to write. But I think it comes back to, you know, simplifying the text. You want to write the minimum amount of text necessary to get your point across because your learners are also going to be listening to you. And so you want to sort of make sure that you're not overwhelming them with too much text while they're also trying to listen to you to, again, kind of navigate that extraneous cognitive load. Um, so I abbreviate things. I, I tend to, you know, leave out words and, and sort of write in incomplete sentences to make it a little bit easier for me to write things, but also then, you know, communicate what I'm writing on the board to the team. And I think it's also important to do your best to try and not write and also talk into the whiteboard, you know, so embrace the sort of like the silence that comes with writing on the whiteboard and then turning and facing your learner. So, you know, I'll even go so far as to add like a dramatic pause of, you know, so the first point I want to make is um, is right here and I'll write it up on the board, turn around and then sort of like show them what I've written and then give them the point. That makes good sense. Um, have you ever experienced or what do you do when you have learners that maybe aren't as engaged with your whiteboard mini lecture and any tips on how to engage your learners? Absolutely. So I think, you know, the temptation with giving whiteboard mini lectures is to ask a lot of what questions. So, you know, what are lights criteria? What are the three things in the three test rule? It's, it's great to do more how and why questions. And I think that's a good way to try and involve learners that may be a little bit more uncomfortable with not knowing exact content knowledge, but you know, saying like, how, are, how do you think about diagnosing pleural effusions? Or why do you think it's important to have an approach to bacterial meningitis? So that could be you know, one way to involve learners that might be less likely to talk. Another great way that is supported by some evidence in the literature is, you know, if, if one person is sort of more the dominating learner, maybe taking something that they say and then asking your more quiet learner, what do they think about that? Um, other questions you can ask would include, you know, probing questions. So saying, you know, I heard you say this, tell me more about what you, what you meant when you were saying that specific um, points or, um, Let's say that this you know, patient comes in with a slightly different presentation, so broadening and changing the, uh, the clinical context a little bit can also be used to help involve learners that are maybe a little more quiet during your session. And that applies to any teaching session, not just teaching at the whiteboard. And similar to things that apply to any teaching session, Ryan, I wonder, what do you do kind of to piggyback back off of Charlotte's question? Like, if people are really kind of not as engaged and you kind of want to get that energy going, do you do anything about the way that you're teaching? Do you like start pacing the in front of the whiteboard or kind of maybe like physically, is there something that you're doing that you're changing about yourself to kind of re-engage and get that energy going? Yeah, sure. I mean, you can even go so far as to like break the fourth wall and, you know, just go get, take your learner's perspective and look at the whiteboard and say, you know, Hey, let's try and fill this section in together. Like when you look at this diagram, what comes to your to mind for you and how are you thinking about this? So breaking the fourth wall, getting next to your learners and taking their perspective would be be one way to do that. Um, just 
maybe like surprising them, like varying the, the pitch, the loudness of your voice and taking a dramatic pause. You know, those are other kind of like auditory ways to engage your learners. I mean, I use a lot of hand gestures when I talk, so hopefully that's engaging. I feel like it, it is most of the time. Um, you know, tapping on the whiteboard, if there's a certain point that you're trying to make, pointing to things, you know, these are all sort of ways you can use your voice and your body language to keep your learners' attention sustained throughout the talk. And Ryan, I feel like you had me at fourth wall. I'm like kind of thinking about like what was one through three? Like, is there is this like on the axis? <laughs> and like trying to figure out, I was like, is there a fifth wall we should be breaking oh, down? Oh gosh, I'm, I'm reaching back. Into it's a like film when thing, I was right? In, it's, a, it's a stage term, yeah, I think. <laughs> I'm reaching back to like the I think one so. time I was in high school and that was a term <laughs> that was mentioned. I think it's like when the actor looks at the camera and like talks to the camera instead of like being an actor. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this. Look at all the pearls that we're <laughs> dropping. Theater, mini whiteboard, like all these things. I love it. Do you ever do any written recap, right, of what you've been teaching and kind of to get people maybe like in, in a summary um, kind of standpoint, any other recapping that you do? Sure. So one thing that I do, I, I photograph every whiteboard mini lecture that I give, even if it's one that I've given multiple times. And I actually will then email it to my team a little bit later and say, you know, here's a screenshot of our whiteboard, our completed whiteboard mini lecture from today. And here are again, some summary points from our from our teaching session and give them actual bullet points in email. I think teaching over email is a really effective way to keep your learners engaged even after hours. And if you're comfortable with it, we would love to share a few of those uh, with our show notes because I think it would be really wonderful to actually see what some of those completed lectures look like. Absolutely. I have my teaching portfolio over here in my backpack. I can like hold it up to the, the camera. That would be cool too, yeah, for our YouTube <laughs> watchers. <laughs> Is it a physical portfolio, Ryan? Because I was literally imagining... It seems to be. Yeah, I was imagining like, oh, this must be like an electronic, you know, place where you... I would think he would have it in his email, but yeah. it seems to be physical. All right, oh so I had I had a binder, but it kept falling apart. So I really, I bit the bullet and I bought like a little leather booklet that I have. That wow, this is old school. Wow. Again, like, you know, show, showing your learners that you care. So uh, let's see, let me pick one out. Oh my gosh, and it's a leather bound. This is like flashback to... <laughs> The log was like embossed too. Is, is it embossed on the oh, cover? Laminated. This is this is my first whiteboard mini lecture I made. So I made this one at the Academic wow. Hospitals Academy. This is on. This is probably you're seeing the reverse of what it looks like, but this is on uh, approach to bacterial meningitis. Oh wow! So wow. I have this. So I make these outlines, and then I kind of have this off to the side as I'm teaching at the whiteboard. So you know, if I need to phone a friend in an emergency, I can I can take a look at this and refresh my memory on the teaching point I'm trying to recall. That's amazing. So I have a question about using your, so you have this frame that you're planning to follow. I mean, I when I think about my small group teaching, I tend to ask pretty open-ended questions. And sometimes someone may have a different framework for organizing vaginal bleeding than I had outlined. How do you I mean, do you just not ask such broad questions and you put your framework up and then ask a clinical question about that? Or if someone brings up their framework, you carefully shift it back to yours? <laughs> That's a great question. I think, you know, the way that you can approach that or what's worked for me is leaving some space at the end of the whiteboard mini lecture to allow reflection. And so that can be and has been one of the reflection questions I asked. So I've showed you guys my approach to this, you know, how are, how do you approach this? Do you have a different framework that you 
you know, used to approach acute coronary syndromes and would you want, want to share those with the small group? So I think that at the end as sort of a reflection piece is, is really helpful. And again, that's also going to help with sort of that generative processing of linking what you've just learned with previous mental schema, previous knowledge to, to really promote long-term learning. Well, this is such fantastic information. Um, we've talked a lot about best practices, and I was wondering now if we could pivot and maybe talk about some things that you see done um, wrong or some errors and common pitfalls that you find uh, educators doing when they deliver a whiteboard mini lecture. Sure. Happy, happy to tackle that one. So one thing I've already mentioned, which is, you know, we want to try and make these, we want to avoid being passive in these sessions. And I think there's a tendency to ask a lot of content knowledge questions. So questions that begin with what, and so asking more how, why, what do you think about this? What's been your experience with this? Those types of questions really get your learners more involved. So trying to avoid what questions would be pitfall number one. I think pitfall number two would just being very cognizant of your body language when you're giving a whiteboard mini lecture. So, you know, you wanna talk at your audience and not talk into the whiteboard. And so that's one, other common area I've noticed. So again, embrace the silence of writing on the whiteboard, you're not talking, turn to your audience, show them the point you've just made, and then illustrate the point. Um, so making sure that you're having engaging body language would be, I think, pitfall number two. And then I think pitfall number three would be not taking the time at the end of your session to do reflection, to ask your learners, you know, what was the main thing that you learned from today's whiteboard mini lecture? What was the concept you struggled with the most? That, you know, reflection is really important for any teaching session, especially for these, because it's going to help you identify, you know, what what you did well and what things you need to improve for the next session. Um, and similarly, taking a picture of your whiteboard mini lecture to have that as a reference and to to go back to um, and when you're planning for future iterations of your session. I feel like I need to share like my own pitfalls. Again, Molly, you know, opened up the vulnerability um, tre treasure chest, which I have a, a lot of pitfalls. But I guess I wonder, Ryan, I've had to teach a few times kind of on a consult service and the teaching times are like, you have 10 minutes to do this whiteboard mini lecture. And 32 minutes later, we seem to still be doing the whiteboard mini lecture that yours truly is leading. And so I'm just wondering, you know, I heard you setting up this kind of like 30 minute um, didactic, I'm wondering, have you, are there ways that you've thought about like shortening it or how you would suggest to do that? Like best practices for someone, you know, who has the common pitfall of being, you know, wanting to teach too much or like the content being too rich for one session, just wondering what, you know, how you address that situation. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the tips is to segment your content to help with the essential cognitive load. And so I actually visually segment my content on the whiteboard with lines, vertical and horizontal lines into these sort of like blocks of content. And, you know, it, if you're finding the session is going too long, that is kind of provides a natural stopping point to maybe say, hey, let's call it quits for today. And we're going to pick up with this, you know, tomorrow or later in the afternoon. It's really helpful too when you're on service to have those natural stopping points if needed. If a patient care issue arises, which happens routinely when I'm giving whiteboard mini lectures, you know, uh, one of our interns or our resident has to return a call or answer a page. You know, you've, you've already got these built-in natural stopping points to either pause the session for the for you know a couple minutes or take a larger pause, maybe pause it for the day and say, we're going to revisit these other two blocks of content tomorrow when we have another 10-15 minutes of teaching in the afternoon. 
Charlotte um, is becoming more familiar with your principles of whiteboard mini lectures and has decided now that she is going to do her first whiteboard mini lectures um, or lecture on COPD in the outpatient setting for interns and residents. How would you kind of coach Charlotte through this process? And for any listeners out there, we're really excited. We want you to have a pen and paper handy and you can um, work on maybe creating your own whiteboard mini lecture. We would love to see what you have created and feel free to send a picture of your whiteboard mini lecture to either our Instagram or Twitter account. Um, we are at the Curbsiders Teach on Instagram and at Curbsiders Teach on Twitter. All right. So first things first, you know, we've already done step one. We've narrowed our topic to treatment of COPD in the outpatient setting. So we're already completed step one here. So next, we're going to write two to three learning objectives. We're going to really focus in on exactly what we want our learners to, to take away from the session. And we're going to try not to go into source overload. We're going to pick one or two sources where we're going to do the bulk of our research to um, get the content for our two to three learning objectives. Then on a first piece of paper, we're going to map out the content we want to teach about. So maybe taking each learning objective and writing some bullet points beneath them just to get the content out there and in one space. And then on a separate sheet of paper, we're going to take that content we've just written down, and now we're going to start trying to map it into an actual whiteboard layout. So what's the title going to be? We want to put that at the top. What are our headings going to be? Maybe we're going to have a diagnosis heading, a treatment heading, um, getting those laid out in advance, and then figuring out what's the best way for each segment of content that you want to present on. What's the best way to, to visually represent that on the whiteboard? Is it going to be to do a flow chart? Maybe it's an algorithm we're thinking about. Are we comparing two things? So maybe a table would be best in that situation. Are we talking about pathophysiology? That really lends itself nicely to a diagram or creating some sort of an advanced organizer. So, you know, being deliberate about what you're trying to teach and trying to match what you're teaching with what is the best way to visually represent that on the whiteboard and doing that for each segment of content. And so usually, you know, each learning objective will be a segment of content. So if you have three learning objectives, it makes sense you might have three segments of content um, that are divided with vertical and horizontal lines on your whiteboard. And so, you know, don't be afraid to just start designing. You know, that's that's what erasers were made for. So maybe using pencil at first, uh, which is what I tend to do. And then once you have kind of like the pencil version laid out, then I overlay things with pens. So what should be red? What should be blue? Those are going to be more like the, the big picture elements. So the headings, the title, um, the if there's a flow chart, the key aspects of that, if there's a diagram, making that in color. And then I like to have the supporting content. So what I'm filling in as we're going through the session with learners, I typically would do that in black. And um, so that's kind of how you're putting this all together. And so ideally showing up to the whiteboard mini lecture a couple minutes in advance to arrange your mise en place, the essential elements on the whiteboard that need to be there, getting your teaching space set up to make sure it's a nice, clean and conducive learning environment, making sure you have working markers and a working eraser because that will very quickly foil your whiteboard mini lecture if you do not have your, your tools at hand. Uh, and then welcoming your learners when you get in and not being afraid to, to give it a first try and, and knowing that things might not go according perfectly according to plan, but that's that's what that's the beauty of teaching. You know, you you reflect on what went well, what didn't go so well, and you do make changes for next time. What I love about your process is it's taking backward design to the whiteboard mini lecture series, which is just fantastic. 
Awesome. Glad you like it. And let's definitely plug Charlotte's, you know, other uh, episode on Curbsiders Teach, which is about backward design and making sure that we uh, listen to that one or our listeners know that that exists as a supplement uh, to this amazing episode as well. So let's say Charlotte is delivering this whiteboard mini lecture about four times a year. Do you have a specific method for reviewing and updating the lecture before delivering it? I know you have your lovely binder there. Um, do you have have some way of updating things or kind of thinking about how it went last time and changing your process slightly? Sure. So, you know, like I said, I take a picture of every whiteboard talk that I give and I like to ask my learners, you know, what what can we do differently next time? And I'll take notes on sort of like the back of the sheet of paper that I've been using and sort of like iteratively. So I'll, you know, write a few notes and then draw a line. And then the next time I give it, write a few more form note, a few more notes. So I have this kind of like running list of of things that I want to change with subsequent iterations. Um, but I, I do review each talk before I give it. I think, you know, it's like you would for any other teaching session, especially if you're giving a larger lecture, you know, you would look at your slides beforehand. So I look at my whiteboard outline beforehand to try and make sure I'm referring to it the least amount of, as possible throughout the teaching session so that I can really focus on staying engaged with my learners and not looking at my notes so often. And I often do make changes. So the first time I gave my talk on approach to plural effusions, one of my residents pointed out that there is now the three test rule as I was going over lights criteria. And so that was uh, a big adjustment for me. Uh, I acknowledged it on the fly and said that I would make sure to incorporate that for next time. And so I went back to the drawing board, looked at my visual mnemonic I had for lights criteria and added a second column to talk about the three test rules. So I actually changed that advanced organizer for the next time. Well, that's a beautiful transition, Ryan, to thinking about how you continue to like iterate and, um, you know, do your own continuing uh, teaching education uh, and also how you get like feedback from whether it's someone observing you do a whiteboard mini lecture or if it's from your learners who are giving you that feedback. How do you stay current and kind of continue building those muscles um, so that they don't atrophy? I'm sure that yours don't atrophy of a whole portfolio of things, but just wondering how you how you stay up to date. Yeah. Um, so I always ask my learners for feedback. You know, how did the session go? What what should we do differently? Did the diagrams make sense? Did this whole layout make sense to you? So for right now, I, I really am relying on learner feedback. I, I will say one project I'm working on with some colleagues is to create and validate a, a novel whiteboard mini lecture assessment tool because there isn't one that exists. And so that's that's actually my biggest project right now related to whiteboard mini lecture scholarship and the focus of uh, my project for a medical education fellowship I'm doing this year. So hopefully there will be this we tool. We'll be excited to see that as that comes out. Yeah. Keep us posted. We'll do. Um, and do you have any advice, Ryan, on how to kind of, we've kind of touched on this before, but build portfolio, not a, a lovely one, just like yours on um, whiteboard mini lectures for specifically sure. for um, new faculty, new educators, maybe like myself. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, you want to think of a couple of different things when you're designing your whiteboard mini lecture teaching portfolio. You want to teach content with clinical utility. So things that your learners are going to see on a regular basis. Um, you want to also play to your strengths. So things that you're comfortable teaching. Um, but most importantly, you know, you want to develop whiteboard mini lectures about the patients you're seeing with your teams. And so, you know, what I did when I was first starting out as a hospitalist was each time I was on service, I made it my goal to make a new whiteboard mini lecture. And so we would, 
you know, pick a patient's um, complaint or complication or some other active issue that we wanted to focus on that had clinical utility. I knew that they were going to see it again. Um, and I made that sort of the, the narrowed content for my whiteboard mini lecture. And so I, you know, I did this every time I was on service. And before I knew it, I had 10 to 12 whiteboard mini lectures. And, you know, what was making a new whiteboard topic every single time I was on service now kind of becomes, here's this menu of whiteboard mini lectures I have pre-prepared. Um, how can we apply any of these to the patients we're currently seeing? And if not, then it's time to design a new whiteboard mini lecture. Very cool. Do you have some tips about how to kind of tailor your whiteboard mini lecture discussions based on the levels of the learner? So this is probably the toughest part about teaching at the whiteboard because you have your teaching sessions sort of planned in advance. I think, you know, questioning and how you ask questions during your whiteboard mini lecture is one way to make sure that you're teaching to different levels. So, you know, maybe asking more like describe, explain questions for your medical students or your interns, and then to get the resident involved, maybe more things like, can you help us, you know, compare and contrast what you would expect to see, um, you know, between these, you know, two similar presentations. Um, so that's that's one way to do it. Um, when all else fails, though, and you feel like your your topic is really, you like, let's say you have a stellar resident, a future chief who's a gifted educator, then maybe you say something to the effect of, you know, I know this is going to be a lot of review for you, but perhaps what you can take away from this whiteboard mini lecture is an approach for teaching this topic that you can then apply when you're doing subsequent teaching sessions with, you know, your interns or your, your group of learners. And so having them pay attention more to how the topic is being taught and a little less the content itself as having them, that would be what they would take away. I think this has been so valuable um, and, and we've really covered a lot. Are there Anything that you don't think we've covered or anything that you think is key uh, before we get take-home points? I, I think we've we've covered everything from design to how to enhance engagement throughout whiteboard sessions and, and making sure that you include reflection at the end. I think, you know, the only other thing I would just say, we sort of touched on this, but, you know, don't be afraid to do whiteboard teaching. It, it can be a little intimidating at first, but it's it's so rewarding and you can really kind of get your creative juices flowing and create something that is truly yours and, and not someone else's. And so, you know, I really encourage, especially early career physicians to, to give this a shot and, you know, have no fear. And it, it, again, if things don't go exactly to plan the first time, well, that's okay. Then, you know, make some changes and get back out there and, and do it again with a new group of learners the next time you're on service or having a different uh, student or intern or resident working with you in clinic. I love that. It's like the growth mindset, pushing forward, keep pushing. Exactly. Wonderful. And anything else that you want to plug? Sure. If if you want to read more about sort of my approach to teaching at the whiteboard, um, I did publish this in the Clinical Teacher with some colleagues. It's entitled Strategies to Elevate Whiteboard Mini Lectures. And I'm not a Twitter person, but I did briefly foray into Twitter to do a, a series, uh, 10 Weeks of Whiteboard Meta Tips. So if you'd like to check out those, uh, my handle is at Ryan E. Nelson, MD, and that's pinned at the top. And you can go through each tip as its own tutorial. If you learn best via tutorial. Nice. And just to push the Twitter component a little bit more, as Charlotte mentioned, if you want to tag us in your uh, versions of the whiteboard mini lectures that you came up with as Ryan was teaching us about them, please do. Thank you so much, Ryan. This is wonderful. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was great. Inspired by Dr. Nelson, I'm going to prepare my first ever whiteboard mini lecture for next week when I start on wards. 
That's awesome, Charlotte. I feel like we want to see the photo. Yes, exactly. Please send us a new photo. Don't worry. <laughs> I was thinking I am reinvigorated by Dr. Nelson to make or by Ryan to make sure that I have a plan ahead of time in terms of a layout with kind of that big picture headings being color coded. And also for the very first point, what are the learning objectives? Two or three things that the learners need uh, or I'd want for them to take away from this lecture. I agree, Ira. I mean, it sounds so simple, but I actually had not thought of making a piece of paper that was what my whiteboard was going to look like. And so that is probably why I'm really bad at giving whiteboard lectures. <laughs> um, so I am going to try to do that next time I attempt to give a small group that I decide to actually write on the whiteboard. Um, I also think that just the idea of um, kind of cognitive load and, and focusing on reducing the things that really distract from the key points and focusing on ways to pass on that key knowledge and help learners organize that in a way that's uh, retainable and understandable. Um, so, so kind of thinking more about the cognitive theory of multimedia learning. So this has been another episode of our Curbsiders mini-series, The Curbsiders Teach. Get your show notes at thecurbsiders.com slash teach. A special thanks to Dr. Matt Watto and Dr. Paul Williams for their support in this project. Thanks to Dr. Stuart Brigham for composing our theme music and to the team at Podpaste for editing our audio. Thanks to our social media team, Andrew Dillette on Instagram and John Ong on Twitter. Until next time, I've been Dr. Molly Hoiblein. And we're committed to providing you with high value, practice-changing knowledge. And to do that, we need your feedback. So please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or contact us at the curbsiders, uh, teach at gmail.com. And I've been Ira Krishnovska. <laughs> And as a reminder that this and most episodes are available for free CME credit for all healthcare professionals at curbsiders.vcuhealth.org. All you have to do is create an account. I'm Charlotte Jaquin. Thank you so much for joining us today. And let us bring you a little nugget of medical edutainment.